On Point, hosted by Peter Van Artrike. Conversations with interesting and informative experts on technology, branding, culture, social media marketing, and other great topics. Well, Logan, everybody, I'm Peter Van Artrike, your host for On Point, brought to you by our good friends at Wells Media, which includes Carrier Management, Insurance Journal, and other fine publications. This episode is supported by PersonalUmbrella.com, where you can quote standalone personal umbrella policies of up to $5 million in three minutes online just by answering four simple questions. Our guest today is Mike Ansay. He's CEO of a family-owned and operated insurance agency, Ansay & Associates, with approximately 270 employees and 20-plus locations around Wisconsin. Not your typical uh, retail agency out there, member of the big eye, et cetera. Just a little bit larger. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, um, I always like to start out by the person, you know, yourself. Your, your, where'd you come from? How'd you get into this business? Uh, you know, your career path. And um, so tell us about yourself, Mike. Yeah, yes. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I was born and raised in a small town in Belgium, Wisconsin, about 300 people. Uh, went to Marquette University back in the 70s. And my junior year of college, I ended up getting my real estate broker's license and my insurance license. And then coming out of school, that was back when there was a recession. I had the opportunity to work for Ernst and Julio Gallo selling wine in college campuses. And I studied what it meant to be an alcoholic. And I soon decided that wasn't a good career path. <laughs> And, and I ended up uh, working for my father's agency in a town of 300 people. It was one file cabinet, one telephone. We had about approximately 11,000 commission income and uh, started with my dad. And then a, a few years later, my brother joined. And then it was just from there, it was dialing for dollars, windshield time, and working hard to build an agency. Mm. The Gallo wine back um, I, I don't want to assume your age, but that, that back in the day, it was, uh, shall we say, a high-value, low-cost uh, product, wouldn't you say? Yeah, what, what they recognized, which I thought was quite interesting, so I, I visited both with Ernst and Julio, they, they understood that the, the wine drinkers were going to be the baby boomers, and what they wanted to do was expose them to wine. So they wanted to do wine tasting way before that was popular in all the college campuses, and I was the president of the Interfraternity College at Marquette University. I ran every social function. Back in the day, beer drinking was age 18. I ran all the block parties. I ran everything. So they kind of picked me off because of the social side and seeing I was a networker that I could go around all the college campuses. And then when I started thinking it through, it's like that that wouldn't have been very good for me. I wouldn't have lasted very long. So I just decided to come back home and work for my father. He's a small-town banker. He had an agency, real estate practice. We owned farmland, and I did farm farming with him, too. So I had a pretty broad background, plus tax work. So mm -hmm. I had um, really a good background to work with customers, understanding a lot of different facets of business, and uh, were able to help them not only with insurance, but being a good advisor to them and their businesses. That's cool. More, more of a business partner than just um, selling policies. Um, so did, did um, so how did the agency grow? Was it was it one location, your dad's firm back then? Yeah. Yeah. We're in a town of 300 people and you could, you know, and there's another American family agent was a good friend of our family. So 
you know, there's everything was split 50 50. In other words, one family went with one side, one the other. So I just started going and started to push out my marketing area for Washington, Ozaki County. My dad had been known quite well throughout the county as a county supervisor for 47 years. And so he was well respected. And so I just went to work and started networking, getting involved in Lions clubs and different things. And then started to build the business. And through that building of the business over time, then my brother came in. We were still relatively small. And then later on, we made a small acquisition in Port Washington, the Altendorf Agency. And then from there, we started to add people. We added about maybe three, four producers. And then it was just, it was a, it was a journey. I mean, it was a commitment to the business. It was a commitment to growth. It was a commitment to the people. And through a lifetime of that, we built an organization today that's going to be in excess of $50 million in revenue. So it's, it's something that you have to be passionate about. That's one, one of the uh, core values we have. We, we really are about our core values. We're about respect, integrity, accountability, passion, can-do attitude, and then excellence and professionalism, and how that creates trust. And so as we built the legal entity, you know, was all of a sudden, we had, you know, 15, 20 people. Then it was 40 people. Then it was 50. And then we decided to do some M&A. And then it became larger and larger. And then what really was the thing that became so vital is are the people, but the culture. The culture became strategic to our ability to grow and to attract talent. And this week, I'll be on the culture tour, along with Nikki Kiss, who's the head of our culture, each, each of the five platforms to talk about the agency, where we're at, where we're going, and then to do what we call WOWsters, Extraordinary Customer Search, Extraordinary Customer Service Recognition, where people in the office recognize fellow service people and clients do. And then we, we recognize those people, what we have, what we call with the wheel of wow. We have a big wheel, we go and we spin. There's $500, $1,000 on it. We spin it. People get winning. And of course, it's the holiday season. And we hand out their, their holiday, holiday bonus. And then uh, we have beer we imported from Luxembourg. We give them. And it's kind of a fun, fun time, but it really re- reinforces our culture because mm-hmm. culture is critical for building a large organization. And I feel we have a good culture and we work at it all the time. And that's why the core values. And, right. and managing people is critical because if you don't have a base of managing people, then you lose alignment. But once you lose alignment, your business is put at risk. And that's something that we work very hard on. My senior management team was very strategic with it and the leaders in the company. And we do this all the time. We meet regularly and we have our core values monthly within our meetings to go through the numbers for each office. But it's really important to have the, the core values are critical for the future of this company. Yeah, Mike, I, I you rattled them off uh, quickly, which is uh, which is a good sign that they're top of mind uh, for you. And uh, uh, I I I, com- I completely agree with you that they're, they're they're the north star. But let's go through them again, if you could, a little bit more slowly. And can you talk about each of those core values? Yeah, so respect, that, that's critical, right? Respect for yourself, respect for your fellow employee and for your customer, treating everybody with respect. You know, when you have that and then you build integrity around it, another core value where what you say you do, you do what you say. If you don't know, you say it, and you're clear about what you can or cannot do, it builds the next level. 
And then accountability is ultimately important in any business. Simple things, return phone calls, customer customer expectations. We have service standards, what we expect of our customers, what the customers should expect of us. And then passion is always so critical. If you're passionate about something, people, people uh, engage with you. They want to be because they know that you're thinking on their behalf. You're working for them. And it's so critical. We have passionate people in this company. And then can do, you know, so many problems today, what we face today in the world we're in between uh, chatbots, 1-800-GOOD-LUCK, it's really, can I solve your problem? We're entrepreneurs. People are trusting us with their dreams, their assets, their futures, and they want people that can solve problems and have an attitude that says, hey, I can fix this. Let me go to work on your behalf and do that. And that's so critical. That's refreshing. That's one of them. And then finally, professionalism. Our people have career paths, educations. We're very proudful of that. We work hard on behalf of our employees. If somebody joins our firm, they know they have a career path. That's the most important thing I realize when building the business. If we don't have growth, we can't secure the people. The good people will leave you because they don't have a career path for themselves. So all of these things coming together create the most important ingredient of all, and that's trust. Once you have trust, trust with your employees, trust with your customers, you've created a really solid business model that's sustainable. And that's the key for this. You know, as I perpetuate in my career, to sustain it for my employees and my customers is critical. So that's really important. Important to me personally and professionally. I'm second generation. I have a third generation in the business. We're preparing them for that perpetuation. The assets have been perpetuated. So in the event of something happening to me, there's nobody at risk, no family member, no income to them, no security for them. That was critical for me. So mm-hmm. we, work really hard at yeah, we work hard at it. It was my dad. My dad's legacy as a banker. We dealt with people and their, their family problems all the time. And my best friend, Bruce Creer, died when uh, about 10 years ago, and that really motivated me to perpetuate my brother and then get the asset perpetuated to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, um, there's you have all these different uh, locations. You have, all, uh, you know, almost 300 employees. How... How did you make it through what has been a very interesting uh, three years now? Um, and uh, I, I, I want to ask you also about how you how you're dealing with the with the office situation. Are people back in the office? Do you have a different um, setup, hybrid, et cetera, remote? Like, how is it working for you? Yeah. So first of all, when COVID came, we went virtual in three days. So we were able to, because our, my employees are the most important asset of the company, within three days, our uh, technology staff, Greg Kirsch and his team, Michael, were able to get all offices virtual in three days. Once we accomplished that, then we went into the communication strategy of how do we, how do we engage people? How do we keep them connected? How do we make them part of the family and feel good and secure? So I did regular videos. I would do funny videos. I would do things where I do my haircut with a flow bee. I would do, uh, you know, certain skits from the Marx Brothers, just stuff that to, to bring levity to our lives. Because, you know, it was kind of scary. Nobody knew what the real story was. And until the information started to settle down, 
and our teams met regularly. We did have one sales meeting during COVID where we had everybody test themselves ahead of time coming to it was very good to get everybody back in a room. But through the whole COVID, we uh, were able to maintain growth and grow. We learned through Zoom how to engage our people, and we learned how to build partnerships by using technology. It's a great, great learning experience. It was a good opportunity for us to grow as an organization, and uh, we were able to maintain it. We also did things like Friday fish fries, where the company would pay for our employees to go get fish fries to promote the restaurant industry trying to do other things. We had money available for each region to give to uh, non-for-profits on behalf of what they thought's right. We paid people, uh, I don't know, it was it four to six hours a, a year to work for non-for-profits. So our culture is really about giving back to the community and the employees really enjoy that. Now, moving forward and the type of work product we have, you know, we do have people who have medical issues and they're obviously virtual because it's in their best interest and safety for them. And then the rest of them, we try to get another process where virtual is part of what they do, but they come to the office also. So we have regular meetings where they come in, but they can be virtual also. So we build the camaraderie, the teamwork, and we have the institutional knowledge still being managed in that way. So we, we have that program and it's worked out quite well. Um, so they come in uh, once or twice a week, special times on meetings. We want everybody in. We try to manage it that way. You know, the marketplace today and the competitiveness today of virtual all the time plays part of this, but we're able to run it that way. And then as we move forward, we'll continue to review it. Uh, people do like to get together. Um, so we work very hard at that. For example, this we touch them with the customer experience tour. We touch them with the culture tour. We go out every year on the financials, Angie and I, and then we have sales meetings. So, um, you know, we touch them quite a bit, but we also give them the flexibility. And so far, that's been working very well for us. Mike, one of your colleagues uh, mentioned that uh, the firm, your firm has evolved to, to be more like a technology company that sells insurance. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, you know, when you, you sit in a room and you ask everybody, you know, how many people use uh, Amazon, how many use how many use Uber, how many use, everybody's raising their hands all the time. And then you ask the question, why? Because it's quicker, it's easier, great customer experience, and it's in my control. Well, when you start looking at that, that's that's telling you the customer is asking for engagement, but engagement a different way. The agent will not be replaced by technology. That will not happen. Based off behavioral economics and what they want, it'll always be there. There'll be parts of what we do that'll make it easier for them to do what they want to do. But technology will not replace an agent. Um, so what we've done is we've really started to engage on more digitization. So I spent time with David Rogers in, in a, an executive program at Columbia University. It really, he is kind of one of the leaders that digitizes businesses. And I had 50 executives from all over the world that were sitting in. We were putting in the cohorts, and we started a company, and we did it virtually. And uh, and you started to learn how you could do things differently without, without having to be with people. And people become the conduit of using your product through technology. So that, that started to open up our eyes, and there's a thing called Lean Canvas. So we broke our business down in four quadrants, and in those four quadrants, we started to – 
address how do we drive digitization through robots that do the processing of paperwork, some outsourcing that we have, then effectively using a platform. We were the first agency in the country to do single entry multi-carrier through a product called Deus. That product allowed us to submit a piece of business to four companies at one time using one email and allows you to watch the tracking like a like a, when you order a pizza, just who opened it, who did what, are they going to quote, and it, it eliminates it eliminates time and energy. Our revenue per employee in the commercial arena doubled for our employee, which shows you the efficiencies of it. And now we're working on the personal lines with APIs, working with it so we could get quote to issue all done in a short period of time and pre-fills. So we don't have to go through portals and get multiple quotes. So Acuity is leading on that. Safeco and there's a couple other ones. We're hoping in the next 18 months we'll be able to drive that in the marketplace, which when when a customer can do a square off your website, put their name and address in, and it can pre-fill it, and at the same time go through an API to a carrier and come back with a price indication, and our agent can connect in with them at that time. That eliminates an immense amount of process of redundancy, and it gets us closer to the transaction. So that's another thing that's going on in in small commercial. Same thing we have have those all set up too. So it takes time. It's it's a journey. It it doesn't happen tomorrow morning. But, you know, technology is a little bit, then a little bit, then a little bit, and all of a sudden it's a whole lot of it because it transforms what you do and gets rid of the redundancy. So our firm has been working on it. For a while, and we've identified, we have a, have a person that does the artificial intelligence piece of our business. We have everything in real time with our uh, with our sales information on click, and that allows us to manage our people better. It also allows us to project our urines very well, depending upon where they are in the process of quoting. We can actually do our, our projections on end very, very close by knowing what's in the pipeline, what part of the process. And so then... When you move that into these other areas where we have a person solely going to be de- uh, developing digitization with the carers and DS and that, all of a sudden you're going to start to drive more efficiencies and reduce our tech costs. We'll, we'll have something that will be um, very powerful. And we share with the industry. So one of the things I do um, is I'm active in the big eye, and a lot of my initiatives I make transparent to the industry because the more everybody participates, the better it is for the industry, the better it is for the consumer, and the better it is for all of us. So, mm-hmm. so what? I'm just curious, what were the four quadrants you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so it's customer experience, it's carrier experience, and then the other two have to do with the tech stack and our internal operational side. So each one of those quadrants, we've identified different areas of improvement and then we focus on them in a lean canvas. So in each one of those areas, we will look at how do we get redundancy out of our internal process and workflow? How do we get the customer experience at a higher level? I'll give you an example. We we use um, a different software product on the customer experience. And what that does, instead of, you know, when you get your renewal on an auto in a home, you get this email that nobody fills out, right? Nobody, yeah. no, nobody fills it out and then the information isn't there. We have that all set up on a tech piece where it sends it to you, and it's just as simple as uh, toggle switching stuff. We went from a 10% participation rate to an 85% participation rate. 
just because it's so much easier for the do and it takes two minutes. Those are the sort of improvements for the customer experience and the data information that makes that work. Now, on the carrier side, we're working them on their APIs, automatic processing, so they can use that product to get rid of the redundancy from an underwriter and the interaction of the CSR to get the pricing on personal lines and small commercial. In the intermediate market, that will always exist because the risk, the size of risk, and the complexity of risk will always work that way. But the two areas that are driven more by transactional side can be fine-tuned in a way where that can happen. So in each one of those quadrants, we're breaking it down and breaking it down. So we end up, so on the carrier side, we're working with APIs. We're working with Acuity right now through their process of the pre-fill and doing everything that's going to happen today. And so consequently, it'll be one of those things that uh, will only evolve and make it better. So we're taking everything one thing at a time to ultimately drive the great experience for customers, internal, external, and our carriers. So it's a journey. Does, um, Mike, does all of this exist outside of your manage- agency management system, or do you not have one of those? Yeah, so we have Epic and we have Deus. Deus is another platform that we work with. And between the two, we're able to drive to drive this type of product. Deus is a, reg- is a newer product in the marketplace that can work with an Epic to create the solutions because it's a true platform. What that means by that is it's got microservices. It can do things they're very relatively short, soft, s- small time frame to change, react, and move. So we're working with them to provide this customer experience. And it's really working well. So we're very fortunate. Yeah. So Mike, and, and this, this, all this effort you're describing, which um, could be probably a three-hour soliloquy instead of thirty. Uh, honestly, it's a lot to dive into here. Would put you, you know probably in the top 1% of independent agency principals who are this knowledgeable and articulate and interested, frankly, and curious about the technology options you have and how to make things better for the customer, the carrier, and the, and the employee. Um, but I, 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 I have to ask, um, you know, is it, is it the kind of scenario you see where you're experimenting with things and you ultimately think you could bring some solutions to the the channel in a, in a broader way than are there right now? I mean, are you thinking that way as well? Yeah, no question. So I'm involved with Catlet. Catlet is the big eyes product for helping agencies get more uh, relevant with technology and their business model. So I'm working with them and their team, um, Steve Anderson and, and uh, Matt Banishinsky, in the evolution of these ideas, which then become placed in Catlet for the agents to participate and grow with and then take it at the pace they want to take it at. You know, one of the things I I saw in my life as I got older was what is the risk for my family in owning an agency? You know, that certainly, as you all know, venture capital and publicly traded firms are buying the space up at all times time, you know, because of the lucrativeness of buying the business of the business. That's one risk. And then the other the other was technology. I spent seven years going to all the tech startup shows, and I'm actually involved in some startups in Luxembourg. That's a whole other conversation. But um, it helped me understand that um, we, 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 the most interesting meeting I had in my life was with Daniel Kahneman, who wrote the book and has a Nobel Peace Prize on behavioral economics. And in the Deus business model that was built, they hired him to help 
understand the behavioral economics of an agent, the customer, the experience of what's going on. And in his explanation, we are market makers. We will make the market for risk and carriers will take the risk. But the technology that we have will help us become more strategic with that. And that's the part that they built that I was intrigued in. And then it was just a slow journey with this. And so a lot of the work, the heavy lifting, the things I've done are already in place for other agencies to participate. We work with, we work with Northwest Partners. We work with other Nesbitt agencies and other agencies to continue this journey as a, as a group strategy. But the long-term value is going to be for many, many years going to be for agents and agencies and carriers in our business. You know, this business has been best, has been so good to me and my family. I have an obligation and responsibility to help progressive to the extent that it's reasonable and makes sense for other business owners. And that's really what I see as my responsibility, my legacy for the time I have left in the industry. Mike, you mentioned the, um, the 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 investors looking at buying the business of the of the business um is it something you know you're also making acquisitions is something you want to keep you want to be remain independent then down the road is that the plan yeah so so our our adage is life after the deal so we meet with a lot of different people that have you know are perpetuating and they have different options and we just talk about life after the deal what is it you want what's the most important to you this is a family-owned business. Our goal is to remain independent. You know, next generation will be making decisions after I'm gone. But that was the goal, and that's how we work. And so we've had over 20, I think, 22, 25 acquisitions in all of them. The people stay with us. And when they want to retire, they retire. We just celebrated with Gerard Schultz at Schultz & Schultz. He just retired and after the acquisition we had with them. And he said the reason he did it was because it's a family. It's the Schultz family. It's the Ansic family. So our business model is a little bit different in the marketplace, but our goal is to remain independent. But, you know, like I say, you know, you don't know what life brings you. So, Yeah, I'd never say never. Right. Um, the, Mike, the, the, uh, one of the, the biggest challenges, you mentioned behavioral economics. Um, it, it, it seems like a lot of the change um, with technology uh, in agencies is there's there's people who resist it because uh, they, they, they. I, I always say that agents are very efficient at being inefficient. I'm not talking about your firm. I mean, in general, it, it, they they have certain workflows, and they they often can be rather inconsistent around the agency because somebody has a certain way of processing whatever it might be, certificates or new business, et cetera. So the managing that change and getting people to get outside the, their comfort zone is a is like it's even bigger than the technology itself. Um, why do you think that is in, in this business? Why is it why is it so hard to change behaviors? And I am assuming you've cracked the code on that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> but what we do, anybody could do. It's the change agent mindset. And, you know, we went through that in our firm. We brought outside people to teach our people about change, change agent management. We brought People in, we bring people in all the time to work through it because people don't like change. And even if it's in their best interest, and I think a lot of it is in the business we're in, you get to a certain level and you have security, financial security, and you don't have to change. When they're younger and they have to hustle and do all kinds of stuff to get the opportunity to get security, they were changing the whole time. And then they get into their lifestyle. And then at the end of the day, that's pushing them 
at which time they either have two options. One, they change or they sell. And that's kind of what why you see such a fervor of those things going on, especially with the multiples. I mean, a lot of people are selling because the economics of it are to their advantage to sell. Because if you really don't want to be in the business of the business, then you have that option. And so those are all good things. I mean, that's the beauty of the business. You know, we, we work very hard at changing because we're looking at things generationally different. I'm, I'm at the end of my career and the other people we have, the, my, middle, my management team's in the middle of their career and they're looking at how to make the asset better. How do we make it better for the customer? You virtually can sit on your book for a long period of time and not have to change because the carriers aren't forcing it either. You know, they have different customers, but eventually that time's going to, that, that tide's going to turn because they're going to start to see the inefficiencies that cause them to make different business decisions about contracts. Now, is that tomorrow? No. Is that in the next five to seven years? Could be. But that's just kind of the business we're in. You know, and it's, it's uh, just part of life, right? Yeah, part part of the evolution. Um, so anything else um, you see coming down the pike, Mike? Um, last question here. Anything, uh, any other moves you have in mind? Um, and um, what maybe, you know, the, the future agency location might even look like. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. 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 So with a lot of these acquisitions and that, there'll be a lot of startups. You're going to see a lot of small agencies start up. You know, they always talk about everybody's being bought. And I believe you're going to have startups all over the place. And they're going to be young, efficient people. They're going to look to tech to be the solution for them to run the business. And with that, they're going to take advantage of service centers and different ways to sell product and, and to have more time to do what they want to do. More efficiency, better outcomes, better profits. You know, we keep looking at the profitability of our business. If we take advantage and leverage what's available to us, it's amazing what you can do on efficiencies for your employees, give them more revenue, hence pay them more. That's the ultimate goal, right? Have less because the efficiencies are driving it. So I, I really believe that you're going to see in the acquisition side, people who weren't part of the ownership group looking at different options for themselves, especially because they're entrepreneurial. This industry is full of entrepreneurs, and you will see a lot of startups who are then are going to really drive the tech space, and it'll be a lot of fun. It, I mean, this is, for those that embrace it, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to learn. It's fun to grow. It's fun to, to change. And so I just think that's one area that people are going to be amazed by. You know, big eyes and organizations are losing headcount because of the mergers and all that, but out of that's going to come a new generation of people. They're going to spur this on to a better place and better outcomes for all of us. Yeah, it's, um, uh, that's a great uh, perspective, Mike. I, I share that as well. In fact, um, a big guy uh, did some the research on this. They're, they do it every couple of years, Agency Universe study, and there were 4,000 new agencies formed during the pandemic. Um, many of them are those smaller uh, firms, startups, younger uh, principals, uh, new ways of doing things. I, I think you're spot on there. Yeah, there's agility and pivot, right? They don't, when, when, when you get more mature, you see everything wrong with things and you try to, you start to become, I call it a curmudgeon. When you're younger, you only see everything good at things. You see how you can make it better, how there's more opportunity, how there's more connections and relationships. And as you well know, as you get older, the relationships shift to the younger people. 
So it's only the evolution of time, and that's why people need to be smart about when they perpetuate and the value that they have in perpetuation. Because the sooner you perpetuate, the more value you realize and the more you can have fun with it as your career. When you get older and you wait, sometimes your values start changing from the perspective of the acquisition and the valuation of it. So, but it's a great industry and I'm blessed to be in it. I'm thankful for my, for being in it. And when I started, I never thought I'd be where I am today. So, you know, we didn't have much of a career path. We just did things and it all worked out the same way. So. It sure did, Mike. Um, Thanks so much for your time today and we'll stay in touch, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been On Point with Peter Van Artrike, a podcast presentation of Wells Media Group.